Hi, everybody. It's Dr. Eric Quorum, founder of AIM-7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today is a continuation of the series we're going to be doing for quite a long time on longevity. And over the next several episodes, I'm going to be highly focused on resistance training to improve strength, to build muscle. It's one of the most important things you can do for the health of your body. It helps improve your body composition, prevent sarcopenia, help regulate your blood sugar. This is very important for your health and wellness and the way that you look and feel. And so I'm going to equip you with everything you're going to need to know to improve your strength and to build muscle at any age. So we're going to get into a little bit of the science, but I'm going to leave you with practical applications that you can put into place today. So we're going to talk about some anatomy, hormones, proposed mechanisms that drive hypertrophy, and then some guidelines. And we're going to be drawing on the seminal work from Dr. Brad Schoenfeld. And there's a specific paper, The Mechanisms of Muscle Hypertrophy and Their Application to Resistance Training. And that's where we're going to be focusing today. Now, the process of building muscle is called hypertrophy. And according to Verk and colleagues, it's defined as the enlargement of contractile elements in the expansion of the extracellular matrix to support muscle growth. So there's the actual contractile elements or the intracellular environment and then the extracellular environment. Now, this definition has been updated recently where the definition now is to increase skeletal muscle size and increase mineral protein or glycogen and intramuscular triglycerides. Basically, you're just making the muscle bigger and the surrounding components of the muscle. So let's start with differentiating between hypertrophy and hyperplasia. Some of you may have heard of hyperplasia. Hypertrophy is the increase in the size. Hyperplasia is increase in the number of muscle cells. Now, there's not a whole lot of evidence for this in human studies, so we're not even going to really get into it, but I wanted to get that out of the way in case some of you have heard of that. So let's start with a little bit of anatomy. You can imagine your muscles as being bundles of tiny elastic threads. Each bundle in your muscle is made up of smaller strands called muscle fibers, and these are the building blocks of our muscles. Now, each muscle fiber is like a thin, long cell, almost like the strand of a hair, but much more complex. Inside these fibers, there are even smaller strands called myofibrils. You can think of myofibrils as the power generators of the muscle fiber. They're responsible for making your muscles contract and move. Now, myofibrils are made up of tiny units called sarcomeres. These are the real stars of the muscle contraction show, and sarcomeres contain two key proteins, actin and myosin. You can think of actin and myosin like two hands kind of playing a game of tug and war. When you contract your muscles, these proteins slide over each other, pulling and shortening the muscle, which makes your muscles move. And all of these parts from the muscle fibers down to the sarcomeres work together in just a beautifully coordinated way. So when you lift a weight or perform any muscle action, these tiny components are activated. They contract, pull, and work really hard, leading to movement we can see and feel. And then when we're pushed, when they're pushed through exercise, they adapt and grow, leading to muscle strengthening. And in the case we're talking about today, muscle size or hypertrophy. So it's kind of, I've heard it also talked about kind of like those Russian dolls where you like kind of open one piece and there's another one inside. If you look at the picture of the muscle and all the components, there's, it's like just keeping the peel back the onion. There's so many layers. I just don't want to go into all of it, but I do want to talk about one important 
kind of subsection here. That's called satellite cells. Now, these are located within cells, and they have this self-renewing capability. They are believed to contribute to hypertrophy because they're usually dormant until a sufficient amount of mechanical tension is applied to the muscles, like lifting weights. So when you're lifting weights, there's a lot of mechanical tension, and these satellite cells get activated, and they multiply, and they fuse to muscle fibers to repair and maintain and grow that muscle tissue. And the primary hypertrophy benefits of satellite cells are believed to be due to their ability to donate a nuclei to muscle fibers so they can increase contractile protein synthesis capabilities. And there's this theory called myonuclear domain theory. And this suggests that there must be an increase in myonuclei to support the growth of necessary proteins for an increase in muscle fiber size. So these satellite cells donate this nuclei, this nucleus, right? And then it leads to a proliferation or an increase in size of these muscle cells. Okay, so that's the anatomy section. I don't want to go too deep into it and lose everybody, but it's really important to kind of understand there's a lot of complexity going on. And by no means do we have everything figured out. But we're a lot farther along than we were 20 something years ago when I was in my grad, early grad school programs. Now, let's talk about hormones. There are anabolic hormones that people have probably heard about before, like IGF 1, testosterone, growth hormone. We're going to talk about those. But hormones are developed in glands like your pituitary gland or your testicles, and they're transported through the blood to communicate with other parts of your body. And when you hear the term, anabolic steroids, the word anabolic really means to build up, okay? Catabolic is to break down. Like when you digest food, you're breaking down proteins, fats, and carbohydrates into usable sources of energy. Now, there's certain hormones that are anabolic in nature, and they can play a role in the hypertrophy process. So let's go ahead and explore some of these hormones. So let's talk about IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor one. IGF-1 is a key hormone for muscle growth, and it's similar to insulin in its structure. There are three types of IGF-1, with each playing a unique role in muscle development. So the primary job of IGF-1 in muscle growth involves helping satellite cells, which we just talked about, to differentiate infused muscle fibers. And this is crucial, like we discussed, for repair and growth. A special form of IGF-1 called MGF or mechanogrowth factor is produced in response to weight training. MGF helps kickstart muscle growth by activating these satellite cells and increasing their numbers and muscle fibers. And, but most of the research on IGF-1 has been done in animals, so it's a bit tricky to precisely know how it works in humans, but it's widely accepted that IGF-1 plays an essential role in muscle growth. I don't think any of you are going to be artificially using IGF-1, I just want you to know about its role. Now, testosterone is a bit more well-known for its role in muscle growth. It's a hormone produced in men and women, though men produce it about 10 times more. It helps muscle size. It helps increase muscle size by enhancing protein synthesis, which is the building up of protein and reducing protein breakdown, so preventing catabolism. It also helps by influencing other hormones like IGF-1 and growth hormone. Now, after a workout, there's this brief transient increase in testosterone, which may impact muscle growth. If this response is impaired, it can limit muscle growth development. 
Now let's talk about growth hormone. Growth hormone is made in the pituitary gland located in the center of our brain, and it's released in a fluctuating pattern throughout the day. Most of your growth hormone is released during sleep, during slow wave sleep, specifically early in sleep, but high intensity training is a powerful trigger for growth hormone release. Now growth hormone helps break down fat and it stimulates protein synthesis. It mainly contributes to the growth of connective tissues and muscles, which might not directly increase muscle fiber size, but it's crucial for overall muscle health. If you've seen bodybuilders or people that have abused growth hormone, it works globally. So their entire body gets bigger, their jaw bones, their hands. You just notice like weird growth. That's typically somebody that's, you know, abusing growth hormone. Now, like IGF-1, most research on growth hormone is based, growth hormone is done on animal studies. And there's debate on how exactly growth hormone contributes to muscle growth in humans. It's not like we're running a bunch of studies on people with supplementing this, but we know it has an impact. So there's two views that scientists take on hormones. Some believe that increased hormone levels after training are crucial for long-term muscle growth. Others argue that muscle growth is more about how muscles respond to the stress of lifting weights, not so much about the hormone levels. While steroids can significantly increase muscle size, we all know that, that that's typically when they're working at levels beyond the levels that our body naturally produces. It's supraphysiological levels. And for natural folks, the importance of hormones might be less than previously thought. As long as your hormone levels are within the normal range, it's not going to make as big of a difference as we may think. Now, if you're really low, yes, it can play a significant role in your ability to gain and maintain muscle. So the most recent studies, there's kind of mixed results. And I think we'll continue to see this for a while as we still like have really good studies done on the, the subject. I will say that I've worked with athletes, specifically male athletes with super high testosterone levels and others that were elite athletes that had just very normal testosterone levels and they were equally able to put on muscle and maintain strength. So there you go. Let's talk about the key mechanisms for muscle growth. So there's three proposed mechanisms, mechanical tension, and it's explaining how lifting weights creates muscle tensions that leads to growth. There's this muscle damage idea of explaining how muscle fibers are damaged during exercise and how this damage contributes to hypertrophy. And then there's this metabolic stress concept. And that's how exercise that creates like this burning or pump sensation contribute to growth through metabolic stress. Let's talk about mechanical tension. Mechanical tension is the most likely driver for muscle growth. It's the force exerted on muscles when they contract against resistance. So you're doing a bicep curl and you're exerting a bunch of force against that dumbbell or barbell. So you can imagine your muscles as like rubber bands. When you lift weights, these rubber bands stretch and strain. And this stress signals your muscles to adapt and grow. Your body, your brain, the whole human organism is an adaptation machine. So when you apply a specific stressor on it, it wants to adapt so it can overcome and get really good at taking on that stress in the future. At the cellular level, mechanical tension stimulates various growth factors and activates muscle stem cells, known as these satellite cells we talked about earlier. It also triggers the release of local growth factors and changes the muscle structural proteins, leading to an increase in muscle size and strength. Inside your muscles, there's these structures called costomeres. Think of them as tiny sensors that detect the force from lifting and 
weights and they transmit this information deep into the muscle cells. And this activates a cascade of molecular events leading to muscle growth. So muscle tension, I'm going to say hypothesis or mechanism is that by applying a lot of tension, your muscles are forced to adapt and hypertrophy. The next one is muscle damage. Muscle damage occurs when you engage in exercise that your body isn't typically accustomed to. We've all experienced this before. You get these micro tears in your muscles and it can be incredibly painful. Too much damage from extreme volumes of exercise can lead to something called exertional rhabdomyolysis. You can end up in a hospital and that's very, very bad. But think about this as like breaking down to get stronger. Now, from a recovery and growth perspective, after this damage occurs, your immune system kicks in to start repairing the injured fibers. This process not only repairs the damage, but also leads to an increase in muscle fiber size. The body's trying to adapt, right? It's a bit like fixing a wall and then adding an extra layer for reinforcement for the future. Again, satellite cells play a critical role in this process. They're activated by damage. They multiply, they fuse the damaged fibers, they donate their nuclei. And this is important because more nuclei allow for more protein synthesis, which is a key to muscle growth. So I don't think it's wise to consistently be sore after training. It means that you're doing too much volume, your body isn't able to adapt. You want to have like this slow build in volume over time. We'll talk about that later. So typically the hallmark of a bad program is that you're super sore, especially if you're just kickstarting a new program. You shouldn't be just deathly sore when you're done. Now, the last one is metabolic stress. And this is like that pump feeling you get during a workout. You know, bodybuilders talk about this pump or it's caused by the buildup of metabolites like lactate due to anaerobic glycolysis, a process where your muscles are generating energy without oxygen. This buildup causes a change in the muscle's environment around the cell, leading to an increase in hormone levels and growth factors. These changes signal the muscle cells to grow. The stress and subsequent swelling of the muscle cells from the metabolic buildup appear to have an anabolic effect. Remember, anabolic is building up. It's usually high rep ranges that you have to engage in to get this pump, maybe in the range of 12 to even 25 or 30 reps. And so this is another mechanism. You can start to see here that like you can do lower to higher rep ranges to get different types of ways to stimulate muscle hypertrophy. So let's talk about practical applications. Okay. So the first thing we want to talk about is training intensity. And all of these come from a paper titled resistance training recommendations to maximize muscle hypertrophy in an athletic population. This came out in 2021. I'll put a link to this paper in the show notes, but you can hypertrophy your muscles across a spectrum of loading. If you are a beginner right out the gate, Almost any loading works. As long as it's moderately challenging, then it's going to create an adaptation. You need to focus, though, on executing whatever exercise you're doing with good technical proficiency, but you need to be challenged. But I wouldn't say you should be going to failure. That's a bad idea. As you start getting more advanced, typically after about 9 to 12 months, you're going to have to push it. You're going to have to train with higher intensities. A few reps shy of failure consistently. We call this reps in reserve and in the AIM 7 app. We typically want to re- leave just a few reps in the tank, meaning zero reps in the tank is like you're going to fail. You can't push the weight. That's dangerous. If you're going to do something like that, I highly recommend using machines that are self spotting. 
But you want to go to like, you got like one to two reps in the tank and then you're like, okay, I know if I do two more, I'm going to fail. And then you got to push it. So using five pound dumbbells is not going to get it done. You're not really going to see a benefit. It's basically just like, as long as your heart rate's up, it's like doing some aerobic exercise. Unless you're, you know, older or maybe you're just starting out and that puts some strain on your body, you're going to have to work hard. Now, how much volume or reps and sets do you need to do? Well, generally speaking, 10 to 12 working sets per week per body part is the goal. What is a working set? You should always do warm-up sets before your working sets. Two to three warm-up sets and then push it hard. So let's say you're working on your chest. You may do three hard sets of bench press, four hard sets of flies, machine flies, and then three sets of near-failure push-ups. Over the course of a week, that would be enough. Let's say you wanted to work on your glutes. You could do squats. You could do hip extension exercises. You could do walking lunges, 10 to 12 harder sets spread out over a week. Now, if you're an advanced athlete or an advanced exerciser, up to 20 or more, and we're going to break down a paper in the next podcast on this that has to do with this specific subject. How long should you rest? For multi-joint exercises like the squat or the bench press or leg press or machine presses, two to three minutes if you're pushing it really hard. For single joint exercises like a dumbbell curl or maybe a leg extension, 60 to 90 seconds. What about exercise selection? Multi-joint and single joint movements, you should do a variety of them. If you can, I think doing things like barbell or dumbbell squats or lunges or things like that are a very good idea. It helps develop so many other factors outside of just muscle hypertrophy and strength. And then also doing some single joint movements are great too. Calf raises, all that kind of stuff. Finally, progressive overload. In order to see consistent change over time, you need to progressively overload the muscle, making it harder, doing slightly more reps, pushing yourself slowly over time. Even the demand of the exercise, you can make the exercise more difficult. Final note, I just want to go back and say this. If you're a beginner, don't go to failure. Make sure that you are proficient in the exercises you select, and it should be moderately challenging. If you're an advanced person, you've been doing this for longer than a year, two to three times a week, you're going to have to push it harder, and there's no problem using machines. If this seems a little bit complicated to you, and you're like, Eric, this sounds great, but I would like something that puts this all together for me. Awesome. That's what we built at AIM7. We built these personalized resistance training programs that meet you wherever you are in your fitness journey, your goals, whether it's to gain muscle or lose some fat or even improve your energy level, whether you have dumbbells and kettlebells, nothing to start with, you're at home, machines only, or everything at a gym. So we built this solution with this in mind. So we can make it really easy for you. So if you if that sounds like something that would be helpful, go to our website, aim7.com, sign up for a free seven-day trial. We just put this out and we are getting phenomenal feedback from folks. Random messages on Twitter, X or whatever it's called. People are like, oh my gosh, I've been looking for a program that only uses machines or I'm a runner and I needed something that would come side by side on my running journey. So check it out. So let's recap this. It's really important to understand that there are three basic factors involved. We think that there's a mechanical way to elicit hypertrophy. 
Another way is muscle damage. I highly recommend not going that route. And the metabolic stress is high rep range, kind of pumping it out. The next episodes, we're going to be talking about volume, like how much you should be doing, doing, looking at a really cool paper that just came out on this. We're going to talk about rest intervals and another one. We're going to talk about supersets. I'm really going to get deep into this because I want you to go into the new year equipped with everything that you need to know so that you can make the best changes in your body and that you can really be healthy for the long run. Thanks again for listening today, and I'll catch you on the next episode.